this is one of those passages where it's easy to miss what's going on because of the way it's been presented over the years and the way people talk about it. And one of the things that uh, people connect with this passage a lot is that it says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and Peter's name was Simon. Not Dale Simon, but Simon Barjona. And this man named Peter, you might want some back history. Did you know he was married? Mm-hmm. You should know that, right? Jesus, when he met him, uh, healed his mother-in-law. It was a miracle Peter did not necessarily ask for, but his wife's mother was sick, and Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. We seem to think of these guys as young guys without family, but that's just not true. When they left everything, they left everything. They really did. But this is the guy that Jesus said um, to, that uh, upon this rock I will build my church. And a lot of people say, well, Peter's the rock. Peter means rock. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus might have had something different in mind. Have you ever had a song or a place or a certain... um, food or certain uh, experience that every time you experience it again it reminds you of the first time you were there or the first time you heard it I can listen to songs from uh, back in the 70s and 60s and remember exactly where I first heard it what was going on and it connected me I remember in 75 taking a long trip with my couple of my sisters and uh, all the songs that were on the radio at that time I connect with that trip so it's, it's not hard to imagine that. And sometimes we connect a place with a conversation. I've had conversations at different places and, and those places become, that's where we had that conversation. Some of us go a little further. I'm not able to do this, but some people remember the conversation, what the other person was wearing, what they were wearing, what they ate, what they were doing, where they were going, all this other stuff. I'm not quite that good. But I know a lot of people in my family are. They can say, you were wearing this. And I'm going, I was? I don't even know that I had that still at that time. But yeah, that's kind of a connection there. And uh, in the New Testament, it wasn't just, hey, Jesus is saying something, let's write it down. That isn't how it got to us. There were places where Jesus taught these things. Sermon on the Mount, for example. That was a location where He gave that message. And because of that place being familiar, every time they would go there, they would remember what Jesus shared there. And when they wanted to compile all this after Jesus had passed away, they took all those places they had been and recalled what was said in those places. This is how... They call it the oral tradition. It's also how the Old Testament got to us because Moses wasn't there. They say Moses wrote the first five books. Moses was not there when Adam and Abraham and all those fellas were running around. Okay, Moses was after them by about 400 years minimum because there was 400 years in Egypt after Abraham. So you think about it and consider, if you will, then all that history had to be passed on somehow. And there's different ways of saying that, but it's people who engage in oral tradition. That's a seminary term for it. Where they kept all these treasures 
by teaching each other, don't forget this, don't forget this, and they pass it down to generations that way. Why? Because at a certain time in our history, we didn't know how to read and write. Babies learned to talk before they learned to write. See what I'm saying? Same with human history. So they had the oral tradition and, and places. Another one. Jacob. He was at Bethel, right? Tired. What did he do? Put a rock down. Went to sleep on the rock, right? And he saw a ladder. He named that place Bethel because that's where he saw heaven. The gates of heaven. And that became that place. So whenever he would tell the story, he wouldn't just go, yeah, I saw this ladder one time, you know, it was at this place and that place became sacred. And that place also, when he would pass by there, because he lived near there many years later, he would know exactly the story and relive it each time. So it's true for us with our memories and connections. And uh, some, some of those are good, some are bad, but they are all connected. When I was... Um, uh, a brand new daddy about six months in we had these things called the, I think they're called rockaroos or something they were round and the, the babies could sit in there like little bouncers and they could put their feet down on the floor and move around in these things they had wheels on them mm-hmm. and they had tray and a little play toy and you could put a snack on it and like that and they would move around because they couldn't walk yet well we would put them in James and Johnny in those uh, rockaroos, I think they're called rollers. I can't think of the exact word anymore. It's been a while, and that's how they mobilize for the first uh, several months before they could walk. And uh, one day we had them in a living room, and company was over, and I had some music on the radio, and a song called "Rocket Man" came on, and Johnny just been sitting there the whole time. The song comes on, he starts going like this. <laughs> The song goes off and it stops. And we all were laughing. We thought, that's so funny. Another song comes on, he's not doing anything. And I said, I got that song. So I grabbed it, put it on, and he started going like this again. To this day, I still call him Rocket Man. It's the song, every time I hear it, there he is, swaying in that little thing, just like he's happy. And he loves that song, even today. So it's one of his favorites to this point. And there are songs that connect me to different places. Bible school, vacation Bible school, like um, Deep and Wide, if you ever heard that one. And uh, another one I didn't like for many, many years was called I Am the Church. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that song? Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. I Am the Church, You Are the Church, We Are the Church, Together. I can't remember the rest because I don't like it type song. <laughs> but that song has stuck with me over the, over the years. And this morning... As I was looking at my notes, I, that song popped in my head. I went, why in the world, God, are you putting that song in my head? He said, because there's a connection there. And you want to talk about the church today. And who's the church? And he said, you are the church. And I said, I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. God, I don't like that song, but I don't like it. doesn't mean it's not in there. Now I have a better memory of that song because of this message this morning. So I want to this morning talk about how we become the church. How the church becomes the church. How individuals become the church. The first, let's take a journey 
if you will. If you're familiar with the Sea of Galilee from the stories, it's a little bit north of Jerusalem, maybe an hour and a half, something like that. Maybe a little longer, uh, depending on how you went. But I had a little fun today, and I decided to talk about this place where Jesus is talking to Peter and calling him the rock and seeing where it's at. I have a resident expert who has been there, so I had a lot of help understanding a lot of this this morning. So thank you, my wife, Christine, for her Israeli experience. But the Sea of Galilee is where Capernaum is, it's where the Sermon on the Mount was, it's where the breakfast that Jesus fed the disciples was. On the north side is where Capernaum is, northeast side, uh, northwest side excuse me, of that Sea of Galilee. And you can walk 12 hours north and northeast a little bit to get to Caesarea Philippi. Or, if you had a car at that time, which they didn't, but if you do now, it's less than an hour drive. It's built up touristy now, but back then it was not. And so Jesus would have walked 12 hours with the disciples minimum to go to Caesarea Philippi, which is exactly what it says in the beginning of this section, that He was into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now you say, well, what is that region? It's an actual place that's still there today that has a huge historical significance for many, many people. It is a place where a lot of gods were worshipped, including... Nemesis, who is a god. We also have Pan, who was the guy who was half goat, half man. He had a, uh, a temple there as well, or a grotto. And there were three others that were in that place. And what, what they were is not so important as it was, as there was a large cave there. And in an opening in that cave with a spring pouring out 100, uh, 250 million gallons of spring water every year. Fresh, cold, cold water. 15.5 degrees Celsius. If you don't know what that means, it's about 45, 50 degrees. You don't want to swim in it unless you really, really, really want to swim in it. But that place has some significance because that spring is what starts the Jordan River. There's, a, there's another headwater of the Jordan River as well, but this one is the larger feed for it. In that place, in that cave... Is a, it's a location is, at the time is called Benias. Benias came from the name Panias. Panias came from the name Pan. The god Pan. So this place, when people would go there, would remember that the god Pan was worshipped there. But they also had some history here at this cave that you need to know this morning. That they would have many springs in that area that poured out fresh water. But they wanted to appease the God of death. And the way they would do that is they would sacrifice someone and put them in that spring and push him to the back of the cave. And if the God accepted the offering, then the other springs would not flow with blood. But if they did accept the offering, then those springs would roll clear. This particular place became known as a cave of death. Destruction, sacrifice, in hopes that the God of death would not punish the people. This place has a name, and it's called the Gates of Hades because of that. The Gates of Hell. Because that's where death, the God of death is from. And so they believe. And Jesus is there, 
with the disciples looking around at this cave and this water gushing out at the beginning of the Jordan River. And he, and he says to the disciples a very interesting question. He says, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man. That's what he says. In Matthew, he uses the Son of Man. In Luke, he uses the term Son of God. But in Matthew, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the different disciples answer him. Some say, you're John the Baptist. I've never figured that one out. Because John the Baptist and he were together at the same time. So, I don't understand where they got that. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. One of the prophets. You know, God has raised up a new prophet. And they give all these different answers. And then Jesus says, okay, that's what others say. What do you think? Who do you say that I am? Now, doesn't that get a little personal? Who do you say Jesus, the Son of Man, is? Silence. Kind of like right now. And guess who speaks? Of course, Simon Peter. And he says, well... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the first time in all Scripture anywhere recorded that that's said. There is no recording in Matthew, Luke, Mark, John where that statement is said or that He's affirmed as that anywhere until this point. Peter's not regurgitating what's been said. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter's going, where'd that come from? I, I, uh, uh, am I right? <laughs> it's almost like it was a guess for him because it came out and it, and it was supernatural. Jesus even confirms that. And He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But, my Father, the Holy Spirit who's in heaven, showed you this. This came directly from my Father. And if the Father spoke to Peter, then Peter has a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Do you understand that you cannot know Jesus Christ as Lord of all with any firm conviction unless you really have a conviction? You can say, well... You know, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but some of them aren't going to do it because they want to. There's going to come a time when Jesus returns and everybody who didn't believe Him go, Oh, you are Lord of all. Oh, I was wrong. And every tongue is going to confess, Those believers in Jesus were right. He is Lord of all. And they're going to fall down on their face before Him and go, You are Lord of all. We were wrong. We're sorry. And they're going to say... Forgive us! And He's going to say, it's too late. It's too late. And what Jesus says next to Peter sure sounds like a statement to Peter. Doesn't it? He says, I also say to you that you are now Peter. The word Peter is rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the word rock there is, when he says Peter, is 
Petros. When he says on this rock, it's Petro. It's a different word. And I will build my church on this rock, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I've heard lots of sermons on this. Y'all probably have heard at least a few where it says, the church, hell can't come against it. But consider the historical context I just laid out for you. They're standing at this big cave watching a spring rush out where they're making sacrifices in, in their history. And they consider the God of death is there. And these grottos and temples are still there at this time. Not in ruins right now at that point. And he says, the gates of Hades, he's talking about uh, Nemesis. He's talking about uh, the God of Pan and all the other gods that are worshipped there, including the God of Death, are not going to be able to prevail against my church. These will not be stronger than my church. My church will still be here after they are gone. That's what he's saying. But he's not saying, Peter, you're going to live longer than these places. He's not saying that at all. But a lot of people want to say that because his name is Peter, which means rock, that that's the rock that the church is being built on. It's not true. I'd like for that to be so. Makes it a lot easier to preach. Doesn't require as much textual work and understanding. But if we dig a little deeper, you're going to see the following things happen. When you understand the historical context, Jesus is not talking to Peter about Peter. He's talking about the rock of the truth. On Jesus Christ, the solid rock I stand. He said that the wise men built his house on a rock, which is his word, Mm -hmm. not a person. A person will die. Mm -hmm. And a person will die, you can't build on a dead body unless it's a resurrected body named Jesus Christ. And he says, My words will endure. And so, what is his words? Well, it's actually the words that Peter spoke. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that rock, He will build His church. That's a rock statement. Amen. The kind of faith that's displayed at the gates of Hades won't prevail against the church. It won't even prevail against death. <laughs> or the other gods will not help you. The only kind of faith that works is knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Mm-hmm. Knowing this, deep heart, mind, soul conviction of this because of the Holy Spirit's conviction inside of you that gives you something. And that is the fact that you can defeat all comers who come against you. Say that's not true. Yes, it is. Stories, myths, legends, people come and gone. This rock-solid truth has remained. Jesus Christ is, and He is, the Son of a living God. Living God. Not a dead God. Not a nemesis God. A living God that is not made in a temple where you have to come find Him, but He dwells among us. This is the God we seek. Death cannot prevail against Jesus Christ. You don't have to throw your sacrifices into the gates of Hades. You don't have to make a deal with the devil. You don't have to sell yourself out. You can say, I'm not for sale, devil. 
I belong to Jesus Christ and this heart isn't for sale. I belong to Him and He owns me. I'm sealed. I'm bought. You can't buy me. So I'm already bought. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am free in Him. Jesus Christ will build His church on a bedrock foundation. A bedrock foundation, not a Peter foundation. Peter's a little guy. Church going to crush him. Doesn't work that way. Bedrock is solid. It's unmovable. I read um, several years ago when it used to be called the Sears Tower. I, I liked to go up there and look out, and I learned. And when they put the foundation of a twelve hundred or so foot tall skyscraper into the ground. How far do you think they had to go to sink into the bedrock? Ten feet, maybe? Think that'd be enough to hold it up? Twenty? Forty? Forty feet. You know, that's a long way down, forty feet. No. Two hundred and fifty feet down. That thing is anchored two hundred and fifty feet below ground level to anchor it in bedrock. Why? Because the stuff above it wasn't bedrock. You can't have a however many ton thing that was to be in stuff that's loose. You can't have it and it not sway in the wind unless it's in bedrock that is not movable. Bedrock is solid. I don't know um, how deep the deepest bedrock is for a building, but that's a long way down. They had to go a long way down before they could go up. Why? Because if you don't have a firm foundation, your building's going to collapse. Amen. Hear me. If you don't have a firm foundation, your building is going to collapse. The firm foundation is Jesus Christ is the Son of a living, only one God. That's foundational. And you've got to dig deep until you get there. You've got to dig through the rocks and the sand of doubt and fear and frustration and comments and other people's rumors and thoughts about whether Jesus Christ is who He says He is and keep digging down till you get to the bedrock. till there's nothing but Jesus left. And that's all that's left because nothing else can stand in bedrock but the truth. And nothing can hold on to the bedrock except something that's going to latch onto it and stay connected to it. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus Christ is solid. Mm -hmm. Peter is not. <laughs> we find out very quickly that Peter is not very solid. As a matter of fact, it's kind of nice because it, it tells us in uh, verse 21, we don't have to go far, that from that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter takes Jesus away privately, it says in verse 22, and rebukes Him. <laughs> yeah, some rock. Uh, and says, this isn't going to be for you, Jesus. This shall not happen to you. You will not be killed. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Lost that rock title pretty quick, didn't he? Amen. If you're going to build a church on that, you don't want it to be called Satan ten minutes later. And he says, you're an offense to me. He was offended at Peter. For you're not mindful, hear this, of the things of God, but the things of men. 
Here he is, hearing from God, you're the Son of the living God, and then he goes directly into man's thoughts. Why? I think you know why. Because he wasn't rock yet. He was still mushy. He hadn't gone through the betrayal and the denying of Jesus and saying, I will never deny you or forsake you. Only Jesus can say that and do it. Truly, only Jesus. You know, I like it because I think Jesus calls Peter the rock because he's stubborn. He's hard-headed. He didn't want to call him blockhead, so he called him stone. You're a stone, dude! We're calling him, Peter, he's a rock. No, Jesus calls him a stone. And he's doing it at the gates of Hades saying, my rock is my word and you're a stone. Amen. Stubborn. Hard to move. Uh, like a donkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not so flattering anymore, is it? Cephas, the Chaldean word for Peter, <laughs> has the same intonation. A stone. It's not saying a big boulder. The word Petros, which Peter's name is, is a part of a rock. Not the rock. You're part of a rock, Peter. You're not the rock. Peter had the idea that he could do stuff. Very proud. So whenever he heard his name, new name, and they called him Peter from there forward, he remembered where it was given. At the gates of Hades. And he remembered the context that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and now you're a rock and the gates aren't going to prevail against the rock of my word and you walk in that truth and I'll build my church. If you stay and become the rock that I am and build yourself on me, I will build my church. Jesus said He would build His church. So His name was a reminder like a song, a place, or an emotion, or a memory for us. His new name, humbling, yet powerful. Why? Because it connected to the promise of Jesus Christ through the weakness of a man who was just a little stone. So here's Peter, and this is how I'm thinking. He's going, I'm rock. I can rock it. I am rocket. I can be the rock. I can be solid. I can be strong. I can rock it, man. I can do it. I can make it happen. As long as I'm not the rock and He is. Not me. He's the foundation. And so every time they called him the rock, he would say, (laughs) you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. It's all about Jesus. And when Jesus began to be with boldness, he glorified Jesus, didn't he? Over and over. Never glorified Peter. He said, I'm not the rock. Jesus is the rock. Let me talk about that rock. I think that's awesome. So, when Peter spoke the truth, and the Father revealed that rock-solid truth to him, that was a, what we call a revelation. 
a divine revelation. Only Jesus can build the church. I read lots of books about building the church. How-tos. You know, they're all good. All have principles and ideas and they're very nice. But Jesus keeps saying, I will build my church on the rock of the promise of people who believe in me and know there's a living God. He's my Father and I am His Son. This is what I will build my church on. Anybody who believes on that, that Jesus can build the church through you. If you don't believe that, God can't build on you because you don't have a foundation. You're stuck. And this morning, like Peter, Jesus has promised a new name for anyone who would believe. We don't know what ours is. Peter got his ahead of time. He got fortunate, if you will, or unfortunate. But it's a name that describes us in a way that connects us back to Jesus. Whatever that word might be. One day I was praying um, after a church service down in Georgia and my student pastor down there. And I was praying and, and I had this little vision. I say little. It was like the back of the church and I saw uh, the disciples and Jesus having their Passover meal. And I fall on my face before the Lord and I say, Lord, tell me something. He said, oh, okay. I anoint you, Paul. And I said, what's that mean? had no idea what that meant. Over the years, I began to look and, and, and be challenged by that. And I looked up the word Paul, and the word means small. Small. Did you know that? Paul is small. And, and God is trying to say, I thought He was, I'm going to make you little so I can become big. But then I read in Acts Paul's conversion. And he said, I came to bring you out of the darkness that you would lead the Gentiles who I'm now sending you to of things which I have shown you and which I will reveal you to them, to you, that you may bring them out of darkness into the light. That anointing, he later confirmed. Whether I'm small of stature or in a big church, small church, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I share with you what God shows me. And this morning what God is showing me is that we need to claim Jesus Christ and live on that foundation. And if we don't, we're in trouble. As a church, we proclaim Jesus Christ in all that we do. The mission is to make Him known. The mission is to spread the gospel wherever we go or we're not on the bedrock of the church. We're not spreading Peter. <laughs> we're spreading Jesus. And if you don't know He is the Son of a living God, the one and only true God that exists and has always existed and always will, you don't know that Jesus who died, resurrected, and is alive here and now, and you don't know that without question in your heart, this morning I want you to settle that. I can't make you settle it. I can't settle it for you, but I can tell you how. simply like this. Just say, God, 
Help me to drill down through the junk in me, in my mind, in my heart, in the world, and all the things I believe until I get down to the bedrock of who you are. Until I get down to the place where there's nothing but you left for me and that I don't see anything else but you and that's all I'm going to drill into and build on and when I'm there, you can build on me because I'm locked solid rock in you. Do you understand? Peter was part of a rock. That's what that means. You're part of a rock. You are part of a rock too. When you belong to Jesus, you're part of the bedrock that He can build through you. You are the church. When you belong to Jesus, you are the church. Some say I'm going to church. No, you are the church. Wherever you go, you're taking it. And therefore, it means I am the church. You ever heard someone say, you know, God just wasn't in that service. I didn't feel God there. What, did you leave him outside? <laughs> I thought he was in you. Amen. Everywhere I go, God's there because he's in me. Amen. That's a rock solid fact. Jesus said it. God is in me. And He's in you when you belong to Jesus Christ. He makes His home in you. There's no place where God is not. And if you don't feel God's presence, it's because your heart isn't listening for Him in there. You've got to drill down to the junk that says it's not happening, it can't be, it's not true for me, it's true for everybody else, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, whatever the junk is that's in there, and drill down. Say, God, get rid of the junk because this stuff won't make me have peace. Amen. This stuff won't set my heart on confidence in God. And until you get to the place where you're confident in God, say, God, you have full permission mm-hmm. to clear out the sediment the topsoil, the stuff below that, the rocks, the roots, the weeds, until we get to you. That's my prayer for you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, it's not often that we have an opportunity to spend just a moment before you because our life gets crazy and busy and things pull at us and our minds are pulled by someone needing this or we got to do that. And all these obligations, Heavenly Father, are not You. The obligation we have right now is to acknowledge who You are and who Your Son is and to anchor who we are into that and nothing else. So Heavenly Father, I'm asking You right now to clear out the chaff in our minds in the work that we do here at the church, the church's work too, that we would proclaim You first and foremost in all things. It's not about what we do, it's about who we do it for. And that's first and foremost. And Heavenly Father, if you can do that, I know you can do all things. And I ask you to do that this morning. In each of us. Amen.